tetrami tetra tret. <laughs> Sorry. Are you rapping? Is no. that what you're doing? Tetromino. I should have thought before I started doing this podcast to check whether you're dyslexic or not. It's, I mean, it's not that it ma- it makes it more interesting. It's like the last leg, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the thing. I'm, I'm fighting against adversity. Yeah. The letter T. And I mean, uh, no, I want to do yours first because you actually didn't even give me a word. I did. No, you went. No, I didn't. You weren't listening. You see, but you do not. Obs- do you- I can't even say. You see, but you do not observe. Uh, what did you just do? Stick your tongue out. No. What's your T word? The. Oh. <laughs> the Damien Saint John. Did you come up with this like two minutes before you walked in? No, because it's interesting. The word the. Obviously, it's the definitive article, right? Yes. We all use it. It's also the most used word in the English-speaking world. It comes from the development of the old English system, and the old English used to use the definite article as se, as in the uh, masculine gender. So I think it's seo, which is feminine, and then basically I can't say it, but it means that, which is the neutral. So in Middle English, all these words kind of merged and became the modern English we know as the. So yeah, most popular word, we use it all the time. Uh, in the Middle English, the was abbreviated with a little kind of P over it. And it's interesting, right? So basically it comes down to this. Had a P over it? It's hard to describe because obviously this is an audio podcast. But imagine a T, but with a P stuck on the side of it. So it has a little kind of curve, right? Capital T. Yeah. Yeah. That's how the word started out. Oh, okay. And then it changed and developed and then it became ye, Y-E. So when you're ye oldie shoppy... You yeah. don't say ye, you say oh, the. That's yeah. what that symbol means. But there are still, aren't there people when they go, oh, I'm going to ye oldie pub and I think I'm going to put you through the window of the ye oldie pub in a minute. Yeah, because, you know, I'm anal like that. <laughs> but basically the development of that signal for the changed, developed and became ye wow. and then ye became the. And that's how we get the. Right. Yeah, you pulled it back. I'm interested. Or, or the band the the. Thanks. That was the shizzle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I called you totes, right? Growing up, I thought totes made umbrellas, gloves and then grippy slippers. Uh, I thought did they you, still do. I like them. Did you ever have a pair of Totes Toasties? Yeah, I did. Yeah. They're great. I still, can, like, you get, can you get them still? I think you can. I remember I wanted a pair when I was like 13 for Christmas. It's oh. a weird thing to want at 13 is a pair of comfy slippers, you know? Yeah. Um, but now Totes, unfortunately, is an annoying abbreviation, short for totally. Except that, although its modern origins are in the movie from 2009, I Love You Man, Totes My Goats, and Gwyneth Paltrow's vocabulary, totes amazeballs. <laughs> Actually, totes predates both of them, uh, meaning the total amount it was first found in print in a volume of essays in 1772. Oh. So it proves that all you kids that are using the slang now and you go, hey, I'm totes emosh. Actually, you know what? Using a word that's over 300 years old. How cool are you now for knowing that? Or nearly 300 years old. 200. A word that's over 250 years old. There we go. How cool so, yeah, are you? To- you are totes. I'm totes. You're totes, mate. You're totes. I'm totes there. And this is the tachycardic uh, style podcast. You've heard that in medical dramas, right? Uh, yeah, it's what happens when the TARDIS can't leave the planet. No, tachycardic. He's tachycardic. What it means is you've got a rapid heart rate. So it's not like you dressed like my granddad either. It then. means your heart is beating faster than it's normal. Uh, the threshold for a normal beating heart is 100 beats per minute. Oh, uh, anything other than that, and you could end up with uh, a stroke, death. Are you saying this podcast might cause a stroke or death? Can do, because yeah. uh, it has a rhythm to it. It certainly has a fast rhythm. Interestingly, your your BPM right now can go up to 100 beats per minute. But when you're born, your BPM is, on the, the first two days that you're born, your average BPM is 159. Okay. Your heart is going crazy. 
to work out what's going on. And it slows down, and then when you hit puberty, like 15 years of age, it levels out until you meet your first girlfriend. And then, then it goes through right the roof again. Uh, songs, if you're interested, that are at 100 beats per minute. Yeah. Beyonce's Crazy in Love, Justin Timberlake's Rocky Body, Stevie Wonder's Superstition, Abba's Dancing Queen, Ooh. and Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, that's interesting. They're quite all big hits as well. Yeah, and they just happen to be at your normal heart rate. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. We are Tachycardic. Hey, this is a Thictionary. Thanks for checking us out. Come and find us while you're listening. See us on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, Facebook or Twitter at Thick Podcast, whichever your preference. Listen yeah. to another episode, follow us, like us, rate us, spread the love and we will spread accordingly. Lucky her. Time for this week's word workouts. An anagram of a word. We're doing the letter T this week. This is a condiment. The anagram is accuses a boat. Okay. A- accuses a boat. Boat, I accuse you of being a boat. <laughs> accuses a boat. It's a condiment you got to the end of the podcast. Everyone listening and Paul Gannon to work out what oh, it is. yeah, me. Good luck. Here we go. Here we go. This week's big four words. You mentioned it earlier, actually. Mm-hmm. It would be remiss of me not to, as a big Hoovian, touch on and start with TARDIS. Excellent. Stands for, as we all know... Time and relative dimensions in space or time and relative dimensions... Because there's, there's a slight disagreement about Sometimes TARDIS. they say dimensional dimensions. So it's dimensional dimensions, yeah. but basically it's time and relative dimension in space. Essentially, uh, if you don't know anything about sci-fi, the TARDIS is that blue box that Doctor Who flies around in. But no. that is a circuit. He, he can make it look... The chameleon ship, yeah. He can make it look like whatever he wants. But a TARDIS is a TT capsule invented by the Time Lords to travel through time and space. Uh, there are two types of TARDIS, did you know? No. There's an exploratory TARDIS. Okay. And a military TARDIS. <laughs> Oh, right, that would make sense during the uh, Time War. Yeah. would have so had a lot of doctor, military TARDISes. The Doctor has a military TARDIS. It is a TT Type 40 Mark III, yeah. which I think is one with the go-faster stripes and it the is. Bob- bobble aerial. And the noise that it makes, interestingly, is not supposed to do that. You know, because it's got the handbrake on. See, I'm a bit of a Doctor Who person you yourself, you know. That whirring noise that we're all familiar with. And do you know how that was done? I do. Oh, good. I'll let you get to that then. By dragging house keys along uh, piano strings. Yeah, Radiophonic Workshop worked on that, yeah, which but... is great. Do you want to say more interesting, though? So, we, like, we know what the TARDIS looks like. Yeah. We know what it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, we know that it's massive inside. It can be any size. Yeah. Um, your favourite TARDIS console... This is very anarchy. Yeah, it is. This is the most anarchy we've but allowed ourselves to your, get. Your favourite TARDIS interior of, of all the, like, 50 years of the show. I'm going to go out on a limb and... Do a choice which is both unpopular but still awesome. Yes. I really like Paul McGann's TARDIS from the Canadian TV movie Doctor Who in 96. That was basically like the Antiques Roadshow, though. Like the set what, of the Antiques Roadshow. It, it's great. It has this weird uh, kind of appearance where it's like, it's steampunky. It's yeah. a lot of kind of Edwardian, Victorian kind of architecture and design. And yet when the columns go up from the main console, it kind of disappears into like a space void. And it's fascinating because it kind of really shows you the space within the TARDIS. Mm. That's what I really liked about it. And that was Russell T. Davis, and a lot of that was in the reboot with the. Yeah, as the fifth doctor says, um, he left the coral. Yeah, wallpaper up on it, <laughs> whatever it was. And they kind of chiselled away at that movie f- for sort of ten years to take different bits and pieces from it, the style and all sorts yeah. of pieces. Fun fact though, with Doctor Who, the original theme tune used no musicians and no synthetic instruments. Was it just a guy going like this? <laughs> wow, that is cool. I like that. Yeah, what about this one? It's amazing what you can do when you bend over, isn't it? I'm use my mouth. Yeah. Um, let me introduce you to the Delian mode. Delia Derbyshire yeah. is the woman who created the Doctor Who theme tune. Yeah. Uh, large, they, wrong grainer, but Delia Derbyshire was the woman twiddling all the knobs and making all the sounds, right? She invented a way of doing it where you could cut it reel to reel, and she would cut 
she would take a reel of tape. Yeah. And she would have she would cut in a sound effect, and then she would cut in another sound effect, and then she would cut in another sound, and so on and so on. She put that on one reel, then she would take a different soundtrack, like doodle doo doodle doo. She would yeah. cut that on another reel, and then the she cut that on another reel. And what they did, she basically put all four of these reels on and pushed play at the same time, and what came out was the Doctor Who theme tune. That's amazing, though, isn't it? Yeah. She was the first mix master. Pretty basically. much. She was there ahead of Calvin Harris, Daniel Bedingfield. Oh, yeah. Fat Boy Slim. Yeah, she beat them all to it. It's called the Delian Mode. And in fact, the 18th of March is yeah. uh, Delia Derbyshire Day. If you're interested, go to the DelianMode.com. You can watch the whole documentary there. So, my word then is taphophobia. Taphophobia, fear Taf- of the Welsh. Is correct. It's not <laughs> at all. Uh, it's an, now, it's an abnormal fear of being buried alive. Now, before we go any further, I think any fear of being alive is fine. I don't think there's anything abnormal about well, the fear of being buried alive. Normal fear of being buried alive. Abnormal okay, fear. Okay, so of like being you buried. think it's yeah. definitely going to happen and you should worry about it every day. Yeah. Well, that's what it basically comes down to. It's the idea of being, it comes from the Greek, taphos, meaning grave, and then phobia, meaning to have a phobia. Sure. And that's a pretty simple explanation. Very simple explanation. Uh, it goes back to my love of the Victorian era, right? Um, what I found out was they had an obsession with death, Victorians. It's one of the reasons why the, spiritual, the spiritualism movement was so kind of pronounced at that point, why it grew in that period, to the point where people were genuinely worried about being alive in that time. So when you could buy a coffin, if you had enough money, there were fail-safes built into the coffin that you could use to, if you'd been buried alive and you woke up in the coffin, mm. things you could do to alert help. One a, was... A bell... A bell was, yeah, there was one where you could have a little pulley and it rang a little bell, or a little flag, so you could pull it and a little flag would pop out by the gravestone you were buried at, or the next one was a little glass window on the coffin roof and a hammer. What would you see through the window? You'd see nothing. It's meant to be the kind of break in case of emergency situation where but you then, break it. And then it all, f- and then you die. And then you die because... So basically, we, we, <laughs> we can't be bothered, we're British, we can't be bothered to dig you up again. We're just going to leave you there and you might as well finish yourself off. Yeah. Did they throw in a sandwich at least? No, not at all. Cheese sandwich. No, some are built in with uh, air holes so you can breathe if you yeah. do find yourself buried alive. Wow. Uh, the You're not getting out of that. That's, a, that's a, an absolute con. Yeah, it is. Don't worry, if you do wake up near the uh, afterlife... You'll be able to get yourself out. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. There are a few famous people as well who were afraid of um, being buried alive. Okay. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen was mm-hmm. terrified of the concept. Uh, I think he suggested, what does it say? Yeah, he was a strange guy. Um, he basically asked, in his final days at his home with his friends Dorothea and Moritz in Copenhagen, as the end neared, he begged Dorothea to cut his veins after he breathed his last Oh, so basically lot- just say, just on the off chance, just just kill me, uh, just in case. ask a friend to do. I mean, pick up my dry cleaning, yeah, slit my wrists, that's hard work. Yeah, and he said, that's there was work. a joke as well saying he wanted a little note written next to him saying, I only appear to be dead, just on the off <laughs> yeah. chance he wanted to check your bets. Uh, he also was very strange because he travelled with a rope on his luggage, terrified of dogs and refused to eat pork out of fear of illness. He told his doctor, my thumbs are not to be tied together, nor anything put on my face or any restraint upon my person by bandages, etc. My body is to be placed in an entirely plain coffin with a flat top and sufficient number of holes bored in through the lid and sides, particularly around the face and head, to allow for respiration if resuscitation does take place. And having been kept so long as to ascertain whether decay might have occurred or not, the coffin is to be closed up. 
What a picky customer. Very picky I hope customer. I'd be paid extra for that. And also used quite a lot in films. It's quite a big trope. Uh, have you seen the film Buried with Ryan Reynolds? That film is set completely in his coffin. There's no outside shots of anyone. Oh, okay. It's a fascinating film yeah. with a horrible ending that I hate because it robs me the chance of wanting to watch it again. Yeah. It's one of those uh, the beginning kind of, of endings. The beginning of Kill Bill 2. Kill Bill 2 has yeah. it. And also when Tarantino directed CSI. He directed an episode about one of the CSI members getting buried alive. And also, uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow, a fantastic Wes Craven film about zombie voodoo cults. Uh, Bill Pullman gets buried alive in that horrible scene. Well done. Perhaps the best example of it is The Vanishing. Haven't seen it. All right. Well, it's good because it has that plot in it, but it's kind of a spoiler. So if you haven't seen The Vanishing, I have both spoiled it and not spoiled it. you see The Vanishing? It's gone. So you did there. Man, come on. Right, hey, let's leap on, actually. You just touched on my next T word. How did you kind of reached over and tickled me with that? <laughs> um, I'll get to it in a second. Tarantula. Oh. I want to explore tarantula. Large hairy spiders, which use their exoskeleton for support. Yep. They're around 900 different species, which range in size from as small as a fingernail. Have a look at your fingernail. Yeah, I see that. It's tiny. To as large as a dinner plate. Yeah, that sounds about right. They're huge buggers. <laughs> Can you imagine that crawling on you? How old do you think the uh, tarantulas are? Not how old do they live to, but they how long have they been on the planet? Yeah, I would say probably around you know all the old dinosaurs, maybe even a bit before. Sixteen that. million years. Okay, that's good. Got a good ancestry line. Tarantulas are named after a town in southern Italy called Taranto. Nice. Do you know where I'm going with this? Uh, yeah, Taranto. <laughs> the language they speak, their native dialect in Taranto is Tino. Uh, Tarantino, yeah, in fact. Is it? Yeah. Which is where the species of wolf spider that is a tarantula was first spotted. So, we basically first gave a name to tarantulas in a town called Taranto, where they speak Tarantino. So you could really, really loosely argue yeah. that the director of Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, Jackie Brown, The Hateful Eight, <laughs> Django Unchained and more, is Quentin Spider. Like it. If you wanted to. Yeah, I like that. Uh, if you're interested in why some of them go bald at the back, uh, some of them flick their hairs off to defend themselves. Okay, yeah. And yes... They can explode if they're dropped upside down. Really? You cannot die from a tarantula bite, but you can get a nasty rash. Nobody's ever died from one. Although there are poisonous species of tarantula, but they're like a subspe... It's like your cousin killing someone. Okay. Rather than you. All right, so I'm not really related to them. No. So it's nothing to do with me. Top speed of a tarantula, a heady eight miles an hour. Oh, uh, but yeah, tarantulas, large hairy spiders, 16 million years old, go eight miles an hour, can't kill you, and are very loosely connected to Quentin Tarantino. Oh, they're cuddly, I like them. All right, my word. Again, quite an obvious one, but I thought we'd tackle it. Tetrami, tetra, tret. <laughs> Sorry. Are you gonna... rapping? Is no. that what you're doing? Tetromino. You know when you don't get the first part of a word right, so it leads you down a merry path and then you realise you can't complete that word. Yeah. Yeah, that was that. I that. really, I should have thought before I started doing this podcast to check whether you're dyslexic or not. It's, I mean, it's not that it ma- it makes it more interesting. It's like the last leg, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. I'm, I'm fighting against adversity. Yeah. No, it's just that I, I don't read properly and I, it'll go over my head. Uh, tetromino yes. is the word, right? And you know what tetromino is? It's like a big game of dominoes. No, come on, you must know. You must know what a tetromino is. Is it what scientists shout before they're about to... Uh... <laughs> yeah, before, <laughs> before they build a cube. Yeah. No, it is. A tetromino is a geometric shape composed of four squares connected edge to edge, side to side. Yeah. And where would you have seen that? In the game Tetris. Oh, I love Tetris. Tetris, right? Tetris were full of tetraminos. Which was the word I was trying to get. Baby Tetrises. Yeah. Yeah. But they were the little cubes that fall down in your little famous grid. I love Tetris. 
I love too. Tetris so much. How good are you at Tetris? Uh, most lines in a go, 125, Ooh, which is a nice. typical night for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that afternoon <laughs> yeah, with them. Um, so let's talk about Tetris for a bit then. Why not? Let's go the long way around. Tetris got its name from a portmanteau of the Greek word tetra, meaning four, uh, talking about all the cubes, and tennis because it was the creator's favourite sport. No. So it's like a cube sport. Yeah. Um, it's a tile-matching puzzle game for those in the world who might never have heard of Tetris or played it in their life. I'm pretty sure I would say If you a don't good... know Tetris, but you've managed to work a piece of technology to listen to this podcast, well done you. Yeah. That's the thing. I think yeah. most people have probably at one point in their life played Tetris. Through a Game Boy. That was the thing. That was the thing, though, yeah. because when it was first bought... Because the basic story was it, it was designed originally by a Russian game designer called Alexei Pachuranov, and it was developed in 1984. He was working at a... Uh, Academy Science of the USSR in Moscow. What's interesting is that anything you created for that company belonged to Russia, because yeah. it's Russia. So he couldn't sell the game, but Russia could. And so they sold it and made all this money from it. Yeah. They sell it to the home markets that Amstrad and Commodore were popular with it. So that's where it was, and he was getting none of the money. Yeah. And then it went big, because it was packaged with a little thing that Nintendo made called Game Boy, mm-hmm. and it came with Tetris. And not only did that game sell that console more than any other games ever sold a console, yeah. but also it put Tetris in the minds of everyone who ever yeah. played it. It just became the first, maybe kind of social video game. What's interesting as well is that I found out that they've been using Tetris to get help people with... Uh, OCD? No, well, PTSD. If they give it to people who've gone through accidents or trauma, playing it a lot will help them replace those traumatic memories in their head yeah. with the Tetris kind of dream effect where it just gets locked into oh, your brain like an earworm. Yeah. And it's been successful so far as well. Um, the Tetrises themselves have words to describe the shape. So if you've got a four square, it's an O. If you get a line, a four line across, that's a one. A T is the T-shaped one, an L is the L, a J is the blue one in the opposite direction, yeah. and S. So you can say that's, a, that's an O, that's an I, that's a T. And is there a word down. that you can make from that? Jitso. There you go. Tetris. The best thing ever. Time for a random game on the podcast this week. Well, because we've done TARDISes and we've done Tetrises, yeah. I think we need to do Transformer time. Oh. i got five for you. You tell me whether they're Transformers or not Transformers. Okay. Number one, RC. I think that's a Transformer. Is correct. Okay, good. She was the only female Autobot to appear on a regular basis. She first appeared in the movie. Bit sexist, called RC. Yeah. The only woman that they have a go, she's a bit RC. Yeah, Although RC. there was uh, Nancy, who was a female junkian. Oh, okay, maybe that's where I'm thinking of, the te- the, from the Transformers movie. Number two, Slag. Oh, I want to say yes, because it sounds like it's a dinosaur, a dinobot. Go on, what is it? Slag is a dinobot. Yeah, you imagine the packaging. <laughs> Mum, I want a slag for Christmas. It's all right. It's... So does your father. Uh, <laughs> the th- dark history of Damien St. John's Christmases. Number three, Bumble Jumper. Bumble Jumper. I'm going to say no just on the law of averages. Bumble Jumper is not a Transformer, but an amalgamation of Bumblebee and Cliff Jumper. All right, good. Number four, Sunstreaker. No. I think this one sounds very similar. Sunstreaker is an Autobot. Oh, is it? First appeared in the movie, he is the most egotistic of Autobots. He thinks he's very attractive. <laughs> Why would you program a robot with vanity? <laughs> Number four, jazz wipe. <laughs> if it's not, it's, it's something to use as a toiletry. <laughs> jazz wipe, we're out of Energon cubes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, dear, I had an accent. Do you have any jazz wipes? <laughs> <laughs> I spilt my music everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I meant. Um, I'm going to say no. Jazzwipe is also not a 
Uh, you should get the Chris Tarrant job on there. <laughs> you, want, you know, who wants to be a millionaire? Jazz Wipe is an amalgamation of jazz and side swipe. Oh, okay. And finally, Wide Load. Wide Load probably is. Wide Load is a transformer. He's a big truck thing with Wide a crane, isn't he? Wide Load is an, a throttle bot with OCD. What? Who is insistent on putting things in places and being very organised. What good is he in battle? Ridiculous. So, there you go, you scored. Well, one, two, three, four. I think four. Four's respectable. Four out of five on Transformer time. <laughs> time for the results of the word workout this week. 30 seconds on an anagram. It is a condiment, popular condiment, with uh, begins with the letter T. The anagram is accuses a boat... 30 seconds to work it out starts now. So I'm just going to go right ahead. I know front. what you've done straight away. You've just Googled condiments. No, I, well, and I haven't down actually. the list to see which one begins with letter I T. I've decided to respectfully sit out of this one simply because I didn't write it down. It's not lodged in my head. I'm not like Sherlock Holmes who can do a word palace and put things and re- reach out and grab them and swipe them like Tinder. I can't do that, right? So I'm just going to concede that I've let the side down for everyone listening right now. And I haven't done my homework. You haven't even tried. I'm not even... Time. Time and biscuits. Accuses a boat. Um, Tabasco sauce. Is correct. Is it? Yes. (laughs) A shade beyond your allotted time. I'm just impressed that I got that at all. Tabasco sauce. First produced in 1868 by Edmund McIlhenney, a Maryland-born former banker who moved to Louisiana. Uh, He originally used discarded cologne bottles to distribute his sauce to family and friends. Mm. And today, the manufacturer, McIlhenney, is one of just a few US companies to have received a royal warrant of appointment that says uh, they supply stuff to the Queen officially. And also, there's a picture of me on my Instagram of me (coughs) hugging a giant bottle of Tabasco sauce that my drunken friend just happened to find in the street and drag back to his place. Well, now you know. Um, So there you go. An anagram of Accuses a boat, popular condiment, Tabasco sauce. This show is part of Podomity, the podcast comedy network. We're the best kept secret on Acast. Why not laugh at what else we've got? Check out Podomity.com now.